This is part two of our interview with Mike Teixeira. If you missed part one, go back and check it out on propanefitness.com or you can find it on iTunes, YouTube, Android or Stitcher as well. Otherwise, let's get into part two. So speaking of the one board press, Mike, <clears throat> um, you, you covered this a little bit in your seminar as well. How do you generally program assistance movements when you're using um, an RPE-based approach for the main lifts? So the the first thing that we want to do uh, when we're figuring out assistance and supplemental exercises is to figure out, to the best of our knowledge, what does the athlete need? Uh, if we have a good record of what they've done in the past and we can kind of separate out as many of those variables as we can, we can get a good idea of, of what that would be. But in the case where we're working with someone new or, you know, it's a different training strategy or maybe they're, they just switched from conventional to sumo or something like that, you don't have that sort of record yet. So the best place to start is from a, a weakness analysis. So we watch uh, how the lifter moves, uh, the heavier the weight, the better, you know, so ideally, uh, it would be like a limit weight in competition and watch how that lift is performed. And we're trying to find two things. The first thing is their weak range of motion. So their weak range of motion is, uh, not really the sticking point. A lot of people kind of confuse it with the sticking point is that, that being their weakness. In actuality, the sticking point uh, is a comparatively strong position because there's an, an initial force that's produced in the bottom of the lift, and that's what gets the bar moving. So you accelerate the bar in the bottom. Uh, that's how it goes from stop to some velocity. And then it has a, a peak velocity. Usually, let's talk about the bench press. So you push the bar off your chest in the bench press. And the peak velocity usually happens pretty quickly after the bar gets moving off the chest. And then the bar starts to slow down. And it will slow down up to that sticking point. And the sticking point, like I said, is kind of where we conceptually think of uh, as the weak range of motion. But it's really the end of the weak range of motion. What we're looking for is where does the bar slow down the most? Where, where all that speed bleeds off the most that's the weakest range of motion. So we want to figure that out. We want to find that uh, weakest range of motion. And that's going to give us a really good indication of, of what exercises to do um, for to, to train that weak range of motion. So keeping with the bench press example, if I see that you lose the most speed um, about five centimeters from your chest, that's where the speed really starts to bleed off. Now, it's not that much but that's right about a one board level. So I would want to, to do things to cause uh, more strength adaptation in that specific position. So in that position where the bar is five centimeters off your chest. Um, so some things that you might do to do that uh, would be uh, board presses, you know, the a one board press. Um, now you could do them touch and go and try to utilize the stretch reflex to get more force production in that position, or you could do a long pause at that position uh, to increase your time under tension. There's a bunch of different ways that you can kind of attack that that particular joint angle. Uh, this past training cycle, I've been experimenting with uh, with isometrics for myself uh, to see if, see if I personally get a training effect from it. Um, 
you know, so that would be another thing that you could do. So you're going to want to do that for all three lifts and, and come up with some exercises that target that weak range of motion. And then as far as the supplemental exercises go, supplemental exercises tend to focus more on muscles and not so much on movements. So uh, we want to figure out what muscle is most responsible for that position and or in the case of the, of the squat and to some extent the deadlift for that kind of movement compensation and figure out what muscle is responsible for that and then train that muscle. So what we see a lot of people do in the squat is you know, they squat down and then when they get to the bottom, their hips rise and their chest falls, you know, and they kind of do this, this little good morning thing. Also, a lot of times it's accompanied by the knees shifting back. So there's kind of this whole pattern going on with the knees moving back, the hips come up and the chest falls forward. Well, pretty much everybody does yeah. that because what it indicates is that your quads are not strong enough to, uh, to push you up mm. so that by shifting your weight further back without actually moving the bar up, you're shifting more of the weight, uh, more of the load to your glutes. So it's a compensation pattern for weak quads. Now that makes sense because the, the squat requires really, really, really strong quads. So for most people, most of the time, that's what we see in the squat. So when we come to supplemental exercises for the squat, we're training, uh, things that target the quads, you know, that's where front squat variations come into play. If you have it, a belt squat, but I even have people do leg press and hack squats, which are uh, somewhat powerlifting taboo, uh, <laughs> or at least they used to be. Um, but training the quads directly and specifically, um, you know, adding 20 pounds to your leg press probably isn't going to make your squat go up a whole lot, but doing leg press and developing quad strength will enable you to train the squat more effectively and that will make your squat go up that's that's a really that's another really interesting point that it's not about the direct relationship it's how can it help you train the squat better and more technically correct so that you then yeah. can get more out of squatting would you program a leg press using an rpe based prescription yeah yeah, yeah general okay. the rpe tends to be a bit looser i mean not in the prescription but more in my expectation Right. So I'll tell someone do 10 reps at a nine RPE, you know, but if they're between eight and 10, then that's probably good enough for the training effect that we're trying to create. It's still just a way of, of discussing intensity, I suppose, isn't it? In a, in a way yeah. that both people can understand rather than yeah. a heavy set of 10. Look, I want you to do a leg press. I want you to do 10 reps and I want it to be pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that could mean two very different things. Couldn't I suppose? Yeah. Well, it, it can, you know, and that's another benefit I think of the RPE is that it allows for uh, much more clear communication. You know, if I tell you I want it to be pretty hard, uh, do I mean pretty hard or do I mean pretty hard? You know, well, <laughs> like do I well, have to be bleeding? Let's just say nine RPE, and that's very clear. You know, <laughs> yeah. Funny that uh, Johnny's just uh, hit, hit his hit. elbow to a to an eight. <laughs> Yeah, the the hack squat being powerlifting taboo as well. Like I started hack squatting recently because of a back injury, and bloody hell, like the, the <laughs> su such deep soreness. So I I, I certainly um, it's like a, a lactic burn, isn't it? Oh. It's not like nothing else. So yeah, yeah, definitely a convert to that, and I, I can attest that I can't see how that wouldn't make your quad stronger. What's the weirdest exercise you've ever prescribed, Mike? The weirdest one, 
Um, I've done some some tempo um, variations of the lift that are pretty odd, um, like five three zero tempo. So five seconds down, a three second pause, and then zero on the fifth. Um, yeah. So that one's that one's pretty weird. Um, let's see. Other stuff is not so weird, I guess, like side lunges and stuff like that. But I do try to get people to move in some different planes of planes of movement. Just uh, this past training cycle, I've done Jefferson deadlifts myself, which that's that's pretty weird uh, for most of us. Is that straddling the bar with the bar between your legs? Right. Yeah. Bar between your legs. Uh, probably not for the shorter armed among us, but <laughs> but for me, it doesn't seem to be a problem. Incidentally, how do you feel about Jefferson curls? Um, I don't know if you've heard of them. It's like a gymnastics rehab movement where you're kind of, you, you might have seen it under a different name where you, you're standing with a bar at lockout, usually empty bar, and then roll your spine down and flex it back up again. It's not, it, it, have you have you come across that? I've not come across it. It, it sounds like a, a whole lot of loaded spinal flexion. Yeah, that- I... I think right. I, I was just Not asking because of your, 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 you said you had a back injury. I don't know whether it was something that you'd seen as a, a rehab thing. It's not meant to be really loaded. It's, it's a, kind of a mobility thing, isn't it? It's... Yeah. I see. Well, yeah, I mean, that's uh, definitely injuries. When I get to, when we start talking about injuries, you know, um, if I'm going to speak on it with any expertise, I need to bring in people, bring in people who can tell me what I need to be saying. But uh, we have some we have a physical therapist that works with us, um, to help us, you know, navigate injuries and stuff like that. So that's something that I think is, is really important. Now I've also been working with, uh, some physical therapists to deal with my back injury. One of the things that we've been doing has been avoiding, uh, especially loaded flexion. But for me, anytime I get into a position where I'm, where I've got sheer forces on my spine, that's, basically the only time that I get that I get pain so avoiding that uh, has been really useful to keeping me training so uh, things like the high bar squat has been uh, you know pretty much pain free uh, and then so like speaking of the Jefferson deadlift if you've never done the Jefferson deadlift uh, like I hadn't um, it feels a lot like a trap bar deadlift because your center of gravity is much further back it doesn't it's, the center of gravity is not in front of you like it is for a for a normal deadlift. It feels like a trap bar deadlift, but you're maybe just slightly twisted. You know, it's uh, it's a really interesting movement. It's worth giving a try. Um, but I can do that movement with no pain because my center of gravity is further back and I can stay more vertical. So I'm not getting as much shear. Uh, so for me, you know, kind of avoiding. Avoiding those things that are putting me in a position of pain has been has been helpful. Must be great having a physical therapist as well on board. We uh, call them physiotherapists on the uh, yeah. um, in the UK. But yeah, like is is that partly what's influenced things like the side lunges and stuff that's in a different plane to um, the big three lifts? Yeah. So the <clears throat> the longer we do this, and I've noticed this with a lot of uh, a lot of the people on our coaching staff as well. The longer we do this, the more uh, attention and effort we put into injury prevention, you know, and that's been a major catalyst for those side lunges and suitcase deadlifts and, you know, things of that nature, that stuff, you know, stems from this idea of like, let's keep people healthy and durable. And, and honestly, almost all the, the really weird stuff, you know, so like 
the weird tempos and stuff like that um, come from a place of, of preventing injury uh, more so than anything else. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we chatted about this very, very briefly before uh, coming on air with you, but we did just want to ask you very quickly about your diet approach. Um, I suppose we can mesh that into just how um, how you balance your training and with like the rest of your life, I suppose, because that's it's ultimately what I think a lot of people, especially with powerlifting, if the, if the sessions are very long, like they struggle with that as they as they get more advanced. So, firstly, with diet, I remember you mentioning um, again at the seminar that you, your diet approach is very simple. Um, and you keep track of occasionally to keep track of protein and calories, and you maintain your weight. So you, you've obviously never found diet to be a limitation in your training right right and it's strange because i see that other people you know so very assuredly do find it to be a limitation Mm. and i just never have and to the introspective part of me wonders if i'm missing something you know (laughs) like like man you know people put all this effort into to diet and they're like, Oh, today was a low carb day. And so my performance in the gym suffered. And I'm, I'm thinking like I did intermittent fasting and for a long time. And, uh, so I would train after having like one meal of, of, you know, a few hundred calories or something like that. And, and I felt fine. Well, honestly, in hindsight, I, I see some things that maybe were indicators that, um, you know, diet was affecting my training then that I didn't realize uh, at the time. You know, so hopefully it's a thing that I'm getting better at. But you know, I definitely haven't deluded myself into thinking I'm a nutrition expert either. You know, <laughs> so you mentioned what that I do you think didn't... though is that I think that you've got a limited amount of attention. You know, and if you're going to spend you know that much time, effort, attention into your training, then you want to spend as little as possible on diet without causing your diet to, to interfere with your training, you know, at the point where diet is, is becoming a limiting factor for your training. then obviously you've got to put more attention into it. If you can't make weight or, you know, you've not been able to add any muscle mass because you refuse to eat any protein, then, you know, okay, we have some dietary issues that clearly need to be addressed, you know, but I guess I suppose, I, I suppose I think about it like mobility, you know, so mobility for a power lifter, if you're mobile enough to do the lifts with, say, 10% additional range of motion, then you're going to limit your ability uh, or you limit your risk of injury. Uh, you're still able to perform the lifts. You're limiting your risk of injury. So you don't really need to spend more time and energy focusing on mobility, you know. And I suppose I think of diet in sort of a similar vein, like put enough effort and energy into it so that it's not a limiting factor so that it's improving your results in training but if it's not limiting you then that's all the effort that you need to spend on it i suppose for a power lifter the focus is you know i'll, I'll arrange my food in a way that allows me to lift the most weight over time and yeah. continue to lift yeah. more weight over time um right. when that stops happening i need to look at for sure yeah. yeah um I, I know there's a lot of people where it's, it's very trendy certainly here in the uk to sit kind of over a weight class and, and do drastic water cuts to, to make weight and things like that, um, even just at regional competitions. And I think that's popularized by a few few guys who are at world level who are doing that kind of thing. I'm assuming, I think you mentioned that you just maintain like around your weight class. 
pretty yeah. much. Yeah. I, so to me, um, preparing for a competition, especially like those last couple of weeks, uh, there's more stress in that than I give it credit for. Uh, and I can, I can notice it in my mood more than anything else, you know, mm. that, uh, I become more irritable as we get closer to a competition, you know, things like that. Um, and I try not to be a jerk about it, you know, so hopefully no one else notices, maybe my wife, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. but it's a thing that I notice about myself. And so adding in, you know, a, a strict weight cut on top of that is just adding more stress and more tension to the, the whole system. So for me personally, I prefer to, to have easier weight cuts uh, like a, I would rather do a longer weight cut that's more gentle um, than, you know, a, a severe weight cut there at the end, you know, and sort of the same thing. Like we do uh, for a lot of competitors, especially if they're trying to drop into a weight class, uh, we'll use water loading uh, at the end. But it's pretty tame compared to what a lot of people do. Uh, I mean, it, for a two hour weigh in, you know, I, I, I don't think there's a whole lot that you want to do, you know, I mean, I suppose that there's plenty that you can do, but, um, to me it becomes an issue of, of probability, you know, is this like, you might be able to do this more severe cut and it might not affect your strength so much if you do everything perfectly. And you know, if the, the dice roll is correct and all that, but, um, if you do it, you know, more gently, if you have a, a, a slightly easier weight cut, then it improves your chances of having a good performance at the end. So, uh, for me, I would rather take the more likely over the, the more aggressive. I think that makes sense that you're, you're just throwing in another spanner in the works, um, on top of meat prep by trying to, to cut and so on. And I think if you don't have to do it, then amateur lifters who are sitting above their weight category like they've got less of an excuse really so um and i also like the approach to, to diet as well just saying like put in as much attention as needed but no more than that and um yeah we're, we're very much a fan of that kind of occam's razor philosophy <clears throat> yeah How do you, and especially for the more novice type lifters you know uh having periods where you're focused on gaining muscle and allowing your weight to go up and not getting married to a specific weight class early in your career, uh, I think that's really important to your long-term development. You know? I mean, so you start out at, you know, 60 some odd kilos, then like hopefully you don't end there. You know, <laughs> right. uh, part of the part of the idea is that you get stronger, and if, for most of us, especially the, most guys, they want to add some more muscle during that time as well. You know, so you've got to be willing to add a, a bit of weight. It's yeah. it, it's a problem, and I've, I've I've certainly fell into that where I where for too long I was attached to the seventy four kilo weight category just because as you're getting heavier you you start you know you, you become stronger in that category and before you outgrow it you feel like this this kind of big dick pimp <laughs> player but you think like I've got yeah. to I've got to grow up into the the higher category but you you have to take it on the chin and you know end up at yeah. the lower end of it for yeah. a few years. So you said you were worried about, um, or that, that you were you were taking into account the impact on your wife and so on when you're when you're going through meat prep and that it's more stress than um, you give it credit for. How do you balance training and diet um, alongside family life? I think I have a pretty easy time of it compared to most people, to be honest. So 
because this is my this is my job, um, I can look at training as part of my job as well. So I do my training Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. I do it in the afternoon. So I get up early uh, and I start work early. And um, kind of in the early afternoon, I break away from work and I go lift weights. And by the time everyone's home in the evening, I'm I'm done for the day. So I do get to spend quite a bit of time with, with my family and I've arranged my schedule so that, you know, I'm not training on weekends and things like that. Um, but that's just kind of how I've, I mean, don't get me wrong, I've been very fortunate to be able to arrange my life this way. And I know that a lot of people just don't have that as a possibility. But it's also kind of evolved this way over the years. You know, like when I started out, um, I knew what my, you know, what me and my wife's home expectations were, you know, that we like to have weekends together. So even then, uh, I didn't really train much on the weekends. I would try to keep all my training confined to the work week. Uh, and then in the beginning when I still had, a, I guess you call it a more normal job. Uh, although I was, I was in the air force, so it really wasn't all that normal. Um, a lot of times I would get up very early in the morning and, and start lifting weights by 5 a.m. or something like that in order to preserve that time. So to me, it's a lot of it's about priorities. You know, everyone has the same 24 hours in a day. It's just prioritizing how do you want to spend that time, you know. So, Mike, very selfishly, I, I my, my job is basically the same. I do this full time as well. I'd love to know a bit more about kind of like what a what a day in the life looks like for you. Like you mentioned, you wake up early, you work during the day. I've experimented sure. with, you know, like you, and this is probably going to annoy a lot of people listening, but like I could train whenever I wanted theoretically. Um, sure. I always find it difficult to break away at a specific time of the day. Do you just have a work yeah. day that happens earlier and finishes earlier and then train? Yeah, kind of, yeah. kind of. So uh, I get up... I suppose more often than not, I'm, I'm up by five, at least by six. Um, and, and I go down, uh, to the, to the office and get some work done try to get some work done before, uh, my son wakes up. Then by the time he wakes up, uh, I'm helping him get ready, uh, for daycare, um, while my wife's getting ready for work and she drives him to daycare on her way to work. Uh, so once they leave the house, I go back to work and I, you know, have my day up until around one, maybe two o'clock in the afternoon. And then by then, um, my brain is pretty much shot anyway. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, I mean, I, I find that I have a limited number of useful hours to sit in front of the computer. And when that's over, like I'm just sitting here drooling on myself anyway. So <laughs> sounds familiar. It's, I, I totally get what you're saying though. It's difficult to break away from it. Even then, you know, because I, I feel like I ought to be doing something or I'm really mentally tired and I just don't feel like going to the gym, but eventually that break has to happen. You get up yep. out of the chair and I either go to the basement or there's a gym downtown that I go to. Um, I try to keep that mixed up a bit. And, um, so I go down there, I train and, and, uh, get done in time to pick my son up from daycare and head home. Awesome. I wish, yeah. I wish so much that I could do that, but for some reason, I don't know what it is. I str I'd struggle to finish at one o'clock. I think, um, but that's cool. Yeah, it's that's cool. Well, it's kind of it's kind of awkward to end your workday at you know kind of the early afternoon like that, <laughs> and I think it necessitates an early start. Mm. You know, of course. Um, 
Do you have yeah. any Do you have any tips for waking up at five in the morning? No, not really. I've just <laughs> just, I've do just it. done it for a long time now. <laughs> you know, when when I was a cadet at the Air Force Academy, I would get up at four thirty and be at the gym by five, so, and that's that's a rough way to live life, man. Let me tell you. So the tip is join the Air Force, and then five a.m. feels like a bit of a lie-in. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Great. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, wake up at four for a year, and then five a.m. is easy. Snooze just, until five, right. brother. Yeah. <laughs> when they when the recruiter asks you, you know, what are your motivations for joining, telling you uh, <laughs> it's going to be good for my powerlifting. Well, in a year from now, I'd like to wake up at five a.m. So this is the easiest way for me <laughs> right. for me to create that habit. Most roundabout you, way. Any any time. So I know you stuff at the minute. You train in the morning. Mm-hmm. I used to train in the morning and found eventually that the intensity of my training, especially leading up to competitions, was just too. I just couldn't face it at that time. Yeah. Do you, it's different. I'm I'm not really doing spinal spinal loading in no. the morning. So it's Yusef kind of... does kills essentially. <laughs> is what he's saying because he's he's had a back injury. So he's like, I know what I'm going to do. Loads. Arms every day. <laughs> Competitive curls. Yeah. I may I may be signing up with you. <laughs> <laughs> but back onto sort of nutrition not affecting your your training. Do you ever find sleep is it is a recovery limitation? Like especially waking yeah. up that early. Are you always getting eight hours a night or is that something that you just kind of know? <laughs> no, I mean, I, honestly, uh, here's another uh, helpful life tip from Mike. If you want to go to bed early, have a kid. <laughs> <laughs> so join the Air Force and have a kid. Right, right there I'll you go. That down. <laughs> right. But no, I, honestly, having, having a two-year-old does help because I put him to bed in the evening. So I end up falling asleep about three quarters of the time. So I go to bed pretty early, pretty early in the evening, um, which is helpful. Um, but to be honest, I mean, there are periods of time where work is more busy. So you find yourself getting up early, uh, earlier than normal, and uh, sleep definitely goes on the back burner during those times. And or from in my case, uh, when travel picks up, uh, that's another one of those times. And typically, I just kind of do that until I wear myself in the ground and get sick. Uh, so it's not not really a great example to follow. I think, but um, that's usually what happens when when I'm not getting uh, enough sleep is that it's going to end in me getting a cold, and uh, that's no fun. So it's, it's quite, a good motivator for getting rest, I guess. It's quite interesting to hear that you're, you know, you're obviously very high level powerlifter, but you're you're focused on things that I think a lot of people would think were crucial is actually quite low. You know, you put a lot of time in your training, but, but diet and yeah. sleep, they support it, but they're not focuses for you. I think you'll find that with, with a lot of uh, higher level powerlifters kind of follow the same sort of thing. Like, you know, yeah, sleep is nice and I sleep is fun and I'm <laughs> going to try my best to get that. But, you know, just kind of modern life being what it is, it's hard. Mm. Or, you know, diet... Um, for a lot of guys, I think is just kind of eat whatever I can and make sure I'm still in my weight class, and that's about it. You know, that's really interesting, Mike. I I don't want to take up too much of your time, but we just got one more question as well. Sure. It's not a would you rather, don't worry. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, it can be. Yeah. So um, I remember seeing something where you showed a difference over the years of your technique and how you were kind yeah. of developing that. And I know you're, you're big on this. What? would you recommend people do to master their craft and what also what's the advantage of honing your technique to the point of um of like ultimate to share a precision 
Well, so so it's interesting. It, I think, especially in the beginning, there's definitely things that you need to do. You know, there there are cues that you need, and you need to focus on executing the lift properly and uh, fluidly and things like that. But I run across a surprising number of lifters who post videos online looking for technical feedback or things like that, and you watch the video. And like I'll, I'll watch it and I'll look at it. And I think, yeah, there are a few things that are that are not quite polished with this lift, but it's not. They're not things that need to be cued differently. It's just that this lifter needs five or ten more years of practice with squatting, you know, or or whatever lift it is that we're talking about. You know, there are definitely aspects of technique that need to be cued and okay so you're you're rounding your back in your squat so you need to set your start differently and you need to think about this or push this way or flex that you know that's that's fine but when you're coming out of the hole there's there's a very slight wobble uh right as you pass parallel that's probably not a thing that you need to cue any differently you just need to generally try to not do that and practice for a long time and that'll fix itself you know I think, I think when we get to the point where we see those, those very subtle and very minor things uh, that just kind of polish themselves out with a lot of practice, if we try to cue those anyway, I think what we end up with are those, those people that we talked about that end up getting so hyper-focused on having absolutely perfect technique that they kind of forget to put more weight on the bar. <laughs> they kind of forget that strength is the name of the game and I've got to put weight on the bar to get stronger. Some of those things are, like I said, they'll just polish things. They're going to buff out with time. Um, you know, it's the more, I guess, significant errors. So if you have an error with your setup, uh, then that's something that you absolutely should fix. If you have an error on the descent, then that's something that you probably should look into getting fixed, uh, cueing differently. If you have an error on the concentric, that's a, a gray area I find for a lot of a lot of people. Now that's just a rule of thumb as well. There's definitely exceptions on, on all sorts of different ends. But if you're doing everything right, you've got a good setup, you've got a good descent, you've got a good solid bottom position. Uh, but then on the way up, there's just kind of some small thing that's just not quite right. Then that's probably yeah, just generally try to do better, <laughs> and it's going to get better with time. You know, it's funny. The advice sounds very similar to um, I've had a few golf lessons in my in my yeah. time, despite being yeah. terrible at golf. Um, and something that that a lot of a lot of um, teachers say is is kind of the the backswing, getting into position, very technically focused. But once you're at a certain point on the downswing, just just swing, just swing the club. And I think squatting very especially squatting is very similar you know if you're in a good position out of the hole you just need to complete the rep to some degree you know yeah. worrying about like oh where, where is my hip where, where are my hands you'll end up missing yeah. the rep so i totally feel that way on the deadlift it's like if you can bottle up all this tightness and kind of squeeze it and compress it mm. together and get yourself in a bottom position that's perfect from there, you just stand up, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just stand up. Like yeah. there's nothing more to think about. Just stand up, you know, um, 
but it turns out that getting into that perfect bottom position is actually really taxing. I remember, have you ever heard of um, Tom Martin? Yeah. Probably have, yeah. So he's, uh, I remember reading on a forum, him talking about, you know, everyone's like, Tom, Tom, how do I squat? How do I squat? And his comment was something like, um, I put the bar on my back, I bend down, and I hope that I can stand back up again. <laughs> it's like, right. you know, for someone who's now squatting, you know, 360 right, or whatever yeah. it is, um, for that to be, I'm and sure. To some Tom extent, I think that's about it, you know? <laughs> um, like, let's not, let's not lose the sight of, like, let's not lose sight and try to, try to make the simple things complicated, mm. you know? So, um, just to wrap up, Mike, just, just try quite hard with lifting. Diet doesn't really matter that much and, and just sleep if you can. Enjoy the Air Force. Join the Air Force <laughs> and have a kid. Great. Most unhelpful interview ever. Life advice. <laughs> Mike, it's been fantastic. How can we yeah. find more of, of your content and how can people catch up on, um, on what you're up to? Well, probably the, the best way, uh, we have a website. It's reactivetrainingsystems.com. And I mentioned a training log before. Uh, we have a, a free training log that's available uh, on that site. Also, we have several other free tools, free body weight tracking, uh, free um, athlete monitoring through our track system. And uh, so it's worth checking that out and checking out the app section of that site to, to see the different web applications. We're working on that literally full time. Uh, so there's pretty regularly new stuff coming out. We just came out with a, a workout planner that kind of goes back through your, your training log, uh, finds the best uh, best data reference point and helps you pick uh, the best target weight uh, for today. Bloody so okay. that's fantastic. Yeah. So uh, we're always kind of, we, we have a lot of ideas. So we're mm. always doing new stuff like that. So reactive training systems.com is the website. Uh, but I'm also pretty active on Facebook and Instagram. I'm pretty to find pretty, pretty easy to find uh, on both of those platforms as well so uh, i don't think anyone should have any trouble so i struggled to uh, add you on skype by with spelling your last name so um <laughs> we're, again we're, we'll include that in the uh the mike's mike's skype handle mike, well, i'm sure he'll really appreciate that <laughs> yeah. just send him a message anytime <laughs> yeah we'll um so show notes will be on the website propanefitness.com you can check this out on youtube if you're listening to this on itunes and um, yeah, check out Mike T, follow him, and we'll speak to everyone next time.